It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, here we go. Stand by. Three, two, one. The thinking atheist. It's not a person. It's a symbol. An idea. The population of atheists in this country is going through the roof. Rejecting faith. Pursuing knowledge. Challenging the sacred. If I tell the truth, it's because I tell the truth. Not because I put my hand on a book and made a wish. And working together for a more rational world. Take the risk of thinking for yourself. Much more happiness, truth, beauty, and wisdom will come to you that way. Assume nothing, question everything, and start thinking. This is the Thinking Atheist Podcast, hosted by Seth Andrews. As I sit here behind the broadcast microphone, it's cold, and it's wintry, and it's raining. And it's so hard to get Linus to go outside. Gracie, little better. Linus, like, I know your bladder's full. I know you gotta go. All morning, open the door and he just looks at the cold rain. He's like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going. Which means he's what? Gonna find a spot in the house to go. No, 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 no. So then I end up doing stupid stuff. Or I just look stupid. Grab the umbrella. Walk out and hold the umbrella over the dog. Hey, go ahead, go ahead. Now, he sees rain all around, even though he's relatively dry. He still won't go, because it's raining, and it's cold. I once tried to walk him with a leash, in the rain, in the wind, and this gust of wind blew me over. Actually, I looked like a a slapstick comedy skit in the middle of the neighborhood. My dog gets wet anyway. We both, soaking wet, amble back to the house. He's traumatized. I'm traumatized. How do you get your dog to go out when it's cold and rainy? What's your strategy? It's going to be a long winter. I'm just saying. The holidays I enjoy... I mean, not as much as Halloween. I guess I include Halloween in the holidays. But when I think holidays, I think Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, I think most of us do that, at least here in the United States. Oh, the holidays are here. Thanksgiving and Christmas. Now, I know we're under COVID lockdown. And the CDC is telling everybody to stay home. Not that people are listening, or a lot of people. Have you seen the images of the airports and whatnot? People are rushing off to Grandma's house. Uh, This broadcast is not an encouragement to do that. 
But it's kind of an evergreen conversation about how we deal with families over the holidays. So we're speaking more in the abstract today, right? I'm not talking about you are going to be there in a few days or a few weeks for Thanksgiving and Christmas, etc. But at some point, as COVID begins to one day wane and go away and we get back to some kind of normal, we are talking in that context. So don't misconstrue us talking in the present tense about getting together for the holidays. I'm talking about the spirit of the holidays, your long history of the holidays, and moving forward after COVID, how you approach your religious family over Thanksgiving and Christmas. I got to throw that caveat out there, okay? So don't misinterpret what we're talking about. I think this is a relevant conversation, no matter how it shakes out. It's a wonderful time. For some people, it's a highly stressful time. I feel a sense of ambivalence. I I don't know how else to say it. I'm related to people I don't relate to. doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean I don't care what happens to them. But I'm related to people I don't relate to. And it makes the holidays hard. Because while they obviously share a sense of camaraderie and kinship and commonality. Does that make sense? Oh, they all went to Sunday service, and boy, Life Church was amazing on Sunday, and God is so good, and we celebrate Jesus on Christmas. You know, there's usually a big nativity scene. They have a big, big nativity scene in the front yard. They have a painting of the Lord's Supper on the wall. I shit you not. While I'm having my mashed potatoes and whatever, there's the Lord's Supper on the wall right in front of me, and I look at it, and I'm like, well, okay, I've got some fictitious works I could hang in my own house. I mean, it's not like I'm offended by it. I'm just, it's a reminder of how alien much of this stuff is to where I am in my life. And I look around at the table, and I have a hard time with, I I get judgy. I'm not proud of this. I get judgy. Everybody at this table is waxing on, about the God who breathed in the cosmos and created the dirt man and the rib woman in the enchanted garden with the talking animals, and they're taking their children and they're sending them off to Sunday school and church camp and vacation Bible school so that they can grow up and parrot the same shit that I had to parrot when I was a child. Jesus Christ, if you'll pardon the expression. Dear Lord, we thank you for this food. Nourish it to our bodies and our bodies to your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And all the people standing around just waiting for the amen so they can go eat something. People who probably know very little about the uh, Christianity and or the Bible that they are embracing is absolutely, positively, perfectly true. They all dive in face first to the food along with the rest of us. And I find myself judgy. I just look around and what? I've got a broadcast coming up next month that gets into the problems with the Christian nativity, but more entertainingly, the actual origins of many of our Christmas traditions. It's a pretty comprehensive show. And in that broadcast, I am going to explore the notion that the baby Jesus is actually the villain of the nativity story. That's a whole other conversation. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now. 
I mean, if we look at the baby Jesus, Jesus is kind of the bad guy of this story. All right. I'm going to throw it out there, and then uh, the December broadcast regarding the biblical and pagan Christmas. You can peruse that. When it releases, I've got it scheduled for the 7th of December, and of course, my patrons will get it two days early. How do you deal with the stress of the holidays? How do you deal with religious family over the holidays? How do you frame the holidays, if you even do, as a secular-slash-atheist-slash-whatever person? I am interested. 504, who's this? Hey, this is uh, Joel Mouton. I'm from uh, Louisiana. I've spoken to you before, Seth. I called I was the angry guy about the indoctrination and the childhood stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, for me, it's really no different than any other day of the week. And I know that sounds weird, but where I'm at in Louisiana and with my family who are like forever Trumpers and who like crazy conspiracy stuff and everything, there's really no difference. I mean, they know I'm an atheist. I have been invited less, I have to say, to certain holiday functions. Um, They don't, you know, or, or if it's time for, you know, to pray around the table or whatever, I'll get that snarky kind of look or whatever. So it is different, but I think that at least where I'm at, there's such an inundation of religion in this. It's so much a part of our daily life that it's not a whole lot different during the holidays. At least for me, it's just not because it's just everywhere you go. There's four or five churches on every street. Right now, I'm staying in a small town called Bro Bridge, and there's more churches in Bro Bridge than there are grocery stores, schools, and everything else combined. So, I mean, it's really not that much different. It's just an extra song or two. I was thinking about my own family get-togethers, and I think that's accurate in my own life, too. I mean, they get together, they mingle, there's a prayer, and then we eat. And that's almost every family function. The only difference is is that the holiday meals are slightly more elaborate. You know, that's a perspective that had escaped me. But yeah, it's kind of the same shit, different day, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, it's not really, like for me, it really isn't any different. I mean, it's the same discussions. There's just so so much religious iconography everywhere. You feel like, as an atheist here, you feel like you're this lighthouse and like the waves of religion are just bashing against you. Is the family threatened by you at all? You're sitting there. Is it like there's a self-conscious, passive-aggressive thing going on? Oh, huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's... Yeah, it's they, everyone knows. Like, I, I'll get really snarky comments, like, um, like, oh, you know, why are you celebrating Christmas? You're an atheist, or like, you know, uh, we're gonna pray now, Joel. You know, like, just that real Christian. You know, like I tell people all the time when Christians say, "Oh, bless you, I'll pray for you," that's just a Christian's passive aggressive way of saying "f you." You know what I mean? Well, uh, that's sometimes, all it really is. sometimes so, yeah, it is. I mean, there are some people if you sneeze and they say "bless you" or. You know, if you're going through a tough time and they say, you know, bless your heart, and they genuinely don't know what else to say. But I get what you're saying. There are a lot of people who throw that right. out. It's sort of that nauseatingly condescending piety from the high mountain. Right. Certainly, it sounds like it is in your case. And it must make it hard for you to right. even want to get in the car to go there over the holidays. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's difficult just to, to do anything around here. It's, you know, a lot of people, you know, I hear this a lot. People say, well, there's atheists everywhere. You just don't know them. There really isn't a lot here in the Bible Belt. I've belonged to two atheist groups at one point or another, one in New Orleans and, and one in, and I don't mind saying my name where I live. It doesn't 
I'm very open about my atheism, one in New Orleans and one in Lafayette. And I'm, I'm talking, Seth, when we'd have atheist meetups, we were lucky if we had eight or nine people. Lucky if we had eight or nine people. So, I mean, there's not a lot here. It's, you don't meet a, a lot of atheists here. A lot of people are religious. I mean, a lot. And so you have to be careful. Even the people that don't act religious, they might not read the Bible every day or whatever. They're still religious. Like they'll, they'll party on Friday, Saturday night. But if you say, oh, I don't believe in God, they freak out. They freak out like, you don't believe it. I'm like, dude, you're not even living like you believe it. What are you talking about? Yeah, welcome like, to the whole you, of you, American you, Christianity, you, right? Most of the best teachings of Jesus yeah. have gone by the wayside, but Jesus is still the reason for the season. Go figure. I'd like to think that uh, even if the groups themselves, the meetups aren't either known about or populated, that you know, there's, I think in the southern states, there's an underground of people who are increasingly secular who were just waiting for their day. You have to talk to somebody for a long time. I actually spoke to two or three people where I had to talk to them for an hour before they finally would openly admit, yeah, uh, I'm an atheist or agnostic. And then they, they whispered it like as if somebody was going to come and grab them and drag them off to some concentration camp. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is why it's so hard here to be an atheist because y'all are Everyone's so afraid. Like, don't you understand? You're making it difficult by not being honest. Like, just be honest. And the more of us that are honest that can come out, because people here in the South are so emboldened. They think atheists are like this one-off anomaly that we just don't really exist, you know? Or, or if you're an atheist, you're, you know, the typical you're angry at God or you really do believe in God. You're just bitter. Or So it's very, very different here. I mean, I've been all over the country, and in the northern states, it's a lot different. They're more atheists. They're open about it. Here, it's very different. It's like an underground railroad kind of thing. It's like, oh, my gosh, I don't, you know, don't, you. don't say you're an atheist. Shut up. Well, uh, you know, I, all I can say is that uh, at least in this community, you're not alone. And I, you know, hope you get to celebrate the holiday however you choose and desire to celebrate. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you look around and see any pagan symbols in your family's house, you can always kind of wink at them and be like, oh, nice tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've done that before. And they, they, what they do now is like, don't, don't ruin Christmas. Don't, we don't want to hear about the history lesson, Joel. Don't, don't ruin Christmas. Or I'll say something about Easter and they're like, you know, uh, uh, you know, don't, don't you do it. We don't, yeah. we don't need a lecture. We don't need a lecture. And it's like, uh, yeah, okay, I got you. Right. I got you. Hang in there, my friend. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for taking the call. All right. See you later. I mean, I understand. I did a speaking stop in Mobile, Alabama. Okay. And there was a free thought group there and we had so many people show up that it was standing room only, didn't have enough chairs. But talking to the people at this event in Mobile, Alabama, many were terrified that they would be found out for attending. If my boss found out I was here, my hugely religious boss, they might find an excuse to fire me. If my spouse knew I was here, yeah, they'd be pissed and it, there would be hell to pay and I'm worried about my marriage kind of thing, you know. If uh, my religious parents or whoever knew that I was here, man, you know, that caused so much grief in my life. So while I understand and certainly support this notion that we need to be out and proud whenever we can, because the culture needs to know that we are here and an authentic life, I think, should be lived without apology, 
I also do sympathize and empathize with people who aren't necessarily at the point where they can say, I'm an atheist, or I have doubts or questions, or I'm a non-Christian, because the structure of their societies are set up where they might not only be personally ostracized, but they might be financially penalized. What happens if they've got mouths to feed? They've got children who need basic necessities. What happens if their opportunities are limited? If their families cast them off before they've had a chance to get a foundation, you know, these students who are trying to start the rest of their lives. And so if they just throw caution to the wind and they throw atheist or whatever out, that becomes immediately problematic because society is set up, the privileged have been set up so they can penalize them. That sometimes requires us to play the longer game. So I don't begrudge somebody the right to not be wild and open about everything that they're thinking in the moment. Sometimes it's chess, not checkers, right? Sometimes it's a long game. Strategically, the goal is to get out and to represent the better idea and to debunk the bad idea. But it's like being in the Indy 500. You know, if you take every turn at full speed, you crash into the wall in a ball of flames. If you know when to slow down to take the turn, you are much more likely to place in that race. And that's how I feel about much of what's going on here. 403, hi, who's this? Hi, this is Allison. Hi, Allison. We're getting ready for the holidays. We're just talking about how people are dealing and how people are celebrating. What are your thoughts? I've got some complex thoughts on Christmas, I guess. For one, I don't really celebrate it, especially anymore. And my family is definitely not overly religious. Like we would celebrate Christmas and have a a quiet meal and things like that. But um, over the last few years, it's just kind of been like another day of the year, just like Joel was saying earlier. Christmas is, it's not what it used to be for me, unfortunately. Like... My mom passed away when I was 16, and I'm 39 now. And it was always my mom who put the Christmas spirit into me. It was always my mom who helped. We would get together and put up Christmas decorations and decorate the tree and sing Christmas carols and go walk around the block and and see all the Christmas lights and stuff. And, like, she would put up little nativity scene things here and there, but we never really pushed the religious part of Christmas. Like, we were celebrating because everybody else was celebrating and stuff. And and I remember being really, really little, and um, my mom, would she would buy a bunch of things for me for Christmas. And... And I would always wonder, I'd look at the tag and it would say, to Allison from Santa. And I'd think, why does Santa have the same writing as my mom? Oh, the skeptic. <laughs> and, uh, the skeptic arrives early on the scene. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then I remember, um, I think I was 11 or 12, I'm on the school bus and uh, here are these kids blurting out, there's no such thing as Santa. And I just kind of sat there and I was like, oh, well, that's too bad. But it makes sense about, you know, the printing on the presents, you know. Well, let me ask you this. Do you miss 
the fact that she was there and she was sort of the matriarch that was putting the traditions together and you feel a sense of loss with the loss of her or was it something else? Oh, it's absolutely with the loss of her. Like we were very, very close. I spent every single waking moment that I could with her. So when she passed away, she passed away a cancer and it was, it was really kind of difficult and it was, I now realize that it was pretty traumatizing to watch and it she was diagnosed and then 22, about 22 months later, she passed away and I was, I was 16, I'm 39 now. So I just developed this instant hatred for God for taking my mom away from me. But in my lowest times, I would just, you know, think that I got to hang on because my mom was such a wonderful person and she had such an amazing, beautiful soul that I know that she went to heaven. And I have to do everything that I can to make sure that I go to heaven too so I can see her again when I pass away. And that helped me get through the really, really dark times when I was sitting by myself and not wanting to go on anymore. And now since I've been poking around and doing research and stuff and really looking at the whole God thing and afterlife thing, I'm scared, you know, I'm scared to admit that, you know, it's like there is no afterlife and I'm not going to see my mom again. And it's pretty, it's, it's like a wave of grief is washing over me again. And, like, I understand that it's a whole new different kind of loss. So I'm trying really hard to get through this wave. And with Christmas coming, it's going to be a bit difficult, I'm thinking. I'm so sorry about the loss of your mother. You know, 22 months, now almost two years of having to go down that journey with her and your front and center and I think all of us, I'm looking at the chat and the comment sections here and people are sharing your pain and they're hugging you like from all over the world because uh, I think people hear your story and they genuinely care. They care about you. And it's understandable that, you know, that pain would be associated with the traditions that she brought and now is no longer there to bring. And I think you can do what you want with the season. And if you come to a point when you decide maybe I'll start traditions of my own, maybe in her honor or for whatever reason I want to, I have the the opportunity to do that. And if I decide to skip it outright because it's too painful or I'm not interested, you have the right to do that. But, you know, it's funny. We understand the appeal of heaven and the afterlife, a beautiful place where we are reunited. And uh, I genuinely do empathize with people who... They don't want to live in a world where they'll never see their loved ones again. And you just spoke to that, right? I mean, you're going through that journey. What if? What if? And my hope would be is that at some point, perhaps the focus can be drawn back toward the preciousness of the moments that you had. You had the privilege of sharing her life, being there, marking the moments, making the memories. Those parts of her live on in you. And in that way, she's not truly gone. It sounds a little bit cliche, but does that make any sense? Does that encourage you at all? You know, that's my hope is to try to encourage you. 
It does. It does make sense. And I mean, I, I do have a lot of mementos around that, you know, of things and gifts that she's given me, you know, as like I have an old New Year's Eve decoration from a party that my parents went to and, and she snagged it from the party and that was before I was even born. So I have little things like that to keep her near me. And I mean, last Christmas I spent all by myself and you know what? It was the best thing I could have done because like I'm not close with my dad and he's involved with someone who's, I don't know, I guess I'll just bluntly say it. They're, you know, they're, they're a toxic bunch and I don't want to be at a Christmas dinner where there is yelling or arguing or kids crying because, you know, they're being verbally abused by their, you know, and it's like, I don't need that. I don't want to be around that. And so I've just been staying away from that for the past few years and you know, it's like, I don't mind being by myself. And I, on Christmas Day, I uh, put up some of my own decorations, like the Christmas angel that my mom bought for the tree. I put it with my stuffed animals and, and decorated a little. So I'm getting through. It's just, it's it's really hard. And, you know, all the, like the Christmas music, oh, it drives me crazy. <laughs> it's just so saccharine and happy, too happy. It's like a bubblegum commercial. And it just makes you throw up a little bit in your mouth sometimes. Some of the music. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like, especially on the radio. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's the, it's the bells. I was talking to somebody on the radio a few years ago, and it's like, ding, 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 ding. And there's something about that that's supposed to make you happy. But in some instances, it just makes you irritable. Like, oh, nobody's this happy. You know, just get it. Stop. Somebody stop the madness kind of thing. Well, I got two thoughts to finish the call here for what it's worth. Okay. I'm not giving like, I'm not a guy you want to go to for advice, but we're just friends, you and me. Okay. We're friends. First of all, you'd mentioned that you had some little things from your mom that you kept. And I want to encourage you. There are no little things. Okay. Those icons, those mementos, those memories, they are huge. And so if they give you comfort and joy and peace, hang on to them. You know, if they give you comfort and they help you get through the days, hang on to them. And, and notice that they're not just these little tokens. They're not material objects. Attached to them are specific things that relate to the life and the legacy of your mother. Those aren't little things. They're huge, and they have great value. And so just remember, there are no little things, okay? And secondly, if you need a Christmas party or you need a family, I believe in many cases you mentioned toxicity in your bio family. That you walked away yeah. from that is huge because no one deserves toxicity like that in their life. But family is the family that you choose. If you need a family... You've got one right here. I'm not trying to be a Hallmark movie, but I am saying that we've got your back. We understand. We relate. We support. We're doing the things that family should do. Okay? Okay. Thank right. you so much for listening. There are hugs happening. All There are people literally wrapping their arms around the computer monitor 
or their cell phones or whatever, and they're directed at you, take that with you over the holidays and you hang in there, okay? Okay, Seth, I will. And thank you so much to everybody in the chat. I really appreciate you all. Awesome. All right, be safe. Take care. Thanks, you too. Mm -hmm. Bye. There are those families, aren't there, that there's always an argument. There's always conflict. And she spoke to something that's interesting, too. We sometimes, we have been conditioned to feel obligated to put up with toxicity on our own family tree because it's our tribe. I see this a lot of times when it comes to parents, right? Oh, you got to respect your elders, respect your parents, respect your mother and father. Some of that's rooted in the Bible. In fact, uh, there's a scripture, I can't remember the specific verse right now, that says that if you want to live a good long life on this earth, you must respect your mother and father. The implication is, is if you are a disobedient or disrespectful child, that your life might be actually cut short. I need to go look that uh, verse up and or do the due diligence for me. I didn't realize I'd be talking about it at the moment, and I'm just uh, going off of memory. But it says something like, honor your father and your mother, and you will live a good long life. I'm paraphrasing. And so what happens is, is that we allow for toxicity among people that we would reject in other areas of our life. Hell, if my neighbor said that, if my coworker said that, if my distant relative said that or did that, I'd be out of there. Or I'd tell them that's morally wrong and you should be ashamed of yourself. Or I would just cut the cord completely and go to more beneficial waters in which to exist. And instead, because it's, oh, it's mom and dad. Oh, it's my brother. It's my sister. And I really want to be a family. We put up with a lot of stuff we might not put up with in another context. And, you know, I, I'm one of those guys where I, you know, we've had our sense of conflict and I've been trying and they're trying and I'm trying and they're trying, somewhat trying because we want to try to fix it. But when toxicity is the dominant force, you got to close the door, protect yourself, right? You don't have, there's no familial obligation that says you got to do this and you got to be there for Thanksgiving and Christmas and you've got to listen to it and you've got to get marginalized and you've got to listen to all the shouting and the conflict and the drama and the toxicity. I mean, there are some people I'm convinced they're not happy unless they're unhappy or making other people unhappy. Perhaps they can't feel good unless they make someone else feel bad. Maybe they don't even know what a normal, peaceful life even looks like. So it's always just asides and jabs and insults and discomfort. And why put up with it? Well, they're my family. That's been a hard one for me. Yeah, yeah, it's your family. You know, got to take care of you one day. You know, one day... You know, they're going to be gone and you're going to miss out on all the times, all the times you could have had, all what times I could have had. And then you ask the question, what would I be missing? The shouting and the arguments and the shaming and the condescension, the marginalization, the fact that they kind of treat me like a broken branch on the family tree. Is that what I'm missing? You can have it. It's been hard to try to get over that hump, to try to get past that familial obligation. Well, they're your family. That's the first part of the phrase or the sentence or the declaration. Well, they're your family. And what? And 
You get to decide if you're going to participate, if you're going to receive what they're tossing out, if you are going to be a part of that particular family. Because if they've cast you out or they're simply just awful, have a good life. Because my life's too short to put up with that bullshit. And that's just where I've fallen in my own life. How about you? Five, seven, four. Hi, who's this? Hi, uh, my name's Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Sorry about the diatribe. Uh, you know, I tend hey. to go off on a tangent. Just, oh, it's all right. <laughs> all right. Sorry about that. All right. Talk I'm listening to, me. to this and I was just thinking about So I grew up in a similar religious situation as you, evangelical Christianity. Actually, I was a minister, a licensed minister for five years before I left everything. But um, anyway, I was thinking of my childhood and, you know, they always would tell you it's not about the presence. It's about baby Jesus coming and... <laughs> So everything has to be about that. And like, you know, you're eight years old. It's, it's really about the fucking presence, right? <laughs> that's what you're excited about. And so I always say that's, that's a t-shirt. Hang on. It's really all like, about yeah, the fucking presence. Like, okay, I got that. I got that. All right. It really? <laughs> yeah, I got it. But like, you know, I always felt really guilty about that because then I would sit in church and they would make you feel like, you know, if, you, if you're that excited about the presence, but you're not that excited that like Jesus was born, then like you're... So it was always kind of like this shadow over Christmas for me. And I don't know if other people can relate to that, but I remember feeling really bad that like I really deep down wanted the presence more than I wanted to sit around and think about baby Jesus coming to earth and everything. And Let's play psychologist for just a second. All right. Think about your family and tell me if this is the case. Do you think that they populate their holiday with religious icons so that they feel less guilty about all the other materialistic or non-Christian shit that they really enjoy? I really think it probably is. Like, yeah, we kind of do our token to, yay, baby Jesus was born, and, and now it's okay that we're excited about all the food and the gifts or, what you know, whatever. And yeah. You know, when you get older, it becomes yeah. more about being with people you love. But as I was thinking on that, I was thinking about, I have a son who's six years in a few weeks ago, I just, like, I never even planned for it to be this way. It just kind of hit me almost like an afterthought. Like, my son is six, and he has no idea who Jesus is. <laughs> I've not gone out of my way to avoid it or anything. It's just never come up. And obviously, it's going to at some point as he's out in the world and, and whatever. But if you went up to him and started talking to him about God or Jesus, he would have absolutely no idea what you're even talking about. And I just was like, I'm so glad that my son doesn't have to balance that. Like to him, Christmas is about seeing our family and getting presents and having fun. And there's no shame attached to it just being about that. And um, we have the chance to make it better for the next generation, you know? You mentioned shame. I mean, isn't that really what the baby Jesus story is all about? Jesus came because all of us are screw-ups and we're so awful that he had to be born as a human, then tortured, then murdered to help rescue us from a torture chamber that we actually deserve. So in that context, the Jesus story really is a story about shame. Yeah, it really is. You know, if you're told as a child exactly what you just said, that like what we really deserve is to burn forever and you know, I remember in youth group one day, like our youth pastor had us go outside and he built this really, really huge bonfire and had us stand as close to it as we could bear. And then he said this whole sermon about hell and imagine yourself 
you know, getting tossed into that fire that you can feel practically scorching you and, and that we deserve that. So, yeah, I really didn't realize till after I left Christianity how badly I felt about myself because everything was about, like, I'm terribly bad, and the only reason I ever do anything good is because of God in me, that I'm basically just this evil shell that God is trying to work through and, you know, realizing that that, that was not true, that anything good I've done in my life was me and me, you know, wanting to be a good person. I just felt so much better about myself. Did uh, And I'm just so glad for the kids that don't have to grow up with that bullshit being put onto them. Did um, you say that you were a pastor? I was. I was a licensed Assemblies of God minister for five years. So speaking in tongues and all that, or was it that hardcore? Oh, yeah. Yep. We did it all. Did you preach <laughs> the so Christmas sermon in December? Did you, did you have that narrative going on? I was actually a children's minister, which I did preach some sermons from in the adult services, but uh, never a Christmas one, but thank goodness. Although I, I'm sure I taught the same stuff I'm complaining about to the kids that I, <laughs> this was 20 years ago, I can't remember. I've, I've been out of the ministry for almost 20 years now. I'm in my 40s now, but um, I'm sure I did teach that same stuff to the kids that I was teaching in my church and... I try not to think about it too much because it does make me feel really guilty that I nah. instilled some of that in the you know the next generation. But we, we now, did just, look. Like you and I did the same stuff, right? We thought it was true. We thought we were doing the right thing. We were motivated with, I think, good intent. And once we got out, we decided to try to sound the alarm and and tell people what we had discovered. So don't beat yourself up, okay? And however you celebrate the holiday, I hope it's filled with love and acceptance and goodness and maybe a little hot chocolate and, you know, whatever it is you like to do, okay? All right. Thanks, Seth. All right. Thanks for calling. Baby Jesus has come to rescue us from the punishment that was created by the baby Jesus. I will die on this hill. <laughs> God made hell, and he has come to save us from hell because he loves us. It reminds me of that bit by George Carlin where he talks about hell, and he will burn and fry forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in agony, but he loves you. That's the Christmas story. 973. Thanks for waiting on me. Hi, who's this? Yeah, hello, this is Christopher. Hi, Christopher. Talk to me. We're talking the holidays. What do you think? I remember watching the making of Ben-Hur when I was like seven or eight years old on VHS. Yes, I'm I'm that old at this stage. I can actually remember VHS. But I remember, I think it was William Wyler, the director, his daughter recalled him saying that it takes a Jew to make a good movie about Christ. I would like to see a revision of that quote where it just says that because actually most of the really exceptional films I think about the holidays have been made kind of by non-Christians because William Wyler was Jewish. I'm not sure about the guy who did Joy and Noel. Uh, but I, I just would like to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I'm not a student of the producers of religious films. All I know is um, the Hollywood system back then that was creating the films, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know, the Cecil B. DeMille yeah, I know. stuff. I mean, that was, I, I see yeah. it mostly as tapping into the religious resurgence of the 1950s and the popular biblical yeah. ethic of the day. You know, Ben-Hur is another great example. 
Exodus was yeah. another film along those lines. There was an actual film, I think, called Jesus, which starred Jeffrey Hunter, who played Cap or King of Kings. Jeffrey Hunter, who played the original Captain Pike. Yeah. You know, it was a whole genre at that time. Yeah. Now we're stuck with pure flicks. Like, at least Ben-Hur was well-made, oh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I mean to a certain extent, because, well, we're left with that, and we're left with Mel Gibson. Um, to, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he's yeah. actively tried to make the world the worst place. <laughs> Did you read that Mel Gibson is making a sequel to The Passion of the Christ? I, yeah, I heard of that. I heard about that. Yeah. What? Oh what? my God. Wait a minute. Like, I think the film <laughs> ended with the resurrection. He stood up in the tomb and yeah, it you ended saw with him. Yeah. the holes yeah. in his hands. You saw the holes in his hands. And then he walked yeah. out. And then I think the. Uh, the credits roll or some point. So this is like Jesus, the sequel. So now he's what? He's going to go out and mingle and yeah, ascend or something. I, what do you do with Jesus after the crucifixion resurrection? I, I, it's like, I guess, the 40 days. <laughs> I guess the 40 days upon the return until the, you know, the reascension into heaven. Well, it, it's kind of a, it's a weird, yeah. If they in, do in that, way. it would give me the opportunity to see my favorite disciple, who's Thomas. Because when Jesus shows up yeah. and everybody's like, oh, great, it's Jesus. Oh, wow, it's a miracle. It's Jesus. Oh, look, look, it's Jesus. Thomas is the one going, this is a bunch of crap. Uh, you're going to have to show me he some nail holes, day. man. Or he died the other day. Honestly, I think the best holiday, the best Christmas or holiday films have generally been not about the religious aspect of it. I don't know. We'll have to chew like on that. Ben Hur, well, Ben, ben Hur, you, ben Hur, you mentioned earlier, that's not really about Jesus. Well, yeah, Jesus Even was the a, climax is kind of around Jesus being um, I mean, a subplot. A minuscule subplot as opposed to in the book where he's a major part of it. I'm trying to think of what part Jesus um, played. I think, didn't he walk across? He stumbled across Jesus in chains and Christ, I think, touched him. And it sort of imbued him with not, some kind of something. Yeah, I'm not here specifically to just talk about films, but also, yeah, and keeping on the Christmas thing, yeah, Joyeux Noel, I think, is a pretty good one, even though that is not religious at all. It's just about fraternity and brotherhood and Tell me the name of the film again. Oh, uh, Joyeux Noel. It's just French for Merry Christmas. It's about the World War I Christmas truce. It's hardly religious in any theme at all. Good film. That's someone in the chat. uh, I've ever seen, but... Someone in the chat had mentioned the uh, John McTiernan film, Die Hard, which, of course, is a Christmas film. So that oh, may yeah, be an oh, example that's a, that's a of what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks yeah, for calling. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll chew on that and see what everybody has to say, okay? All right. Cheers. All right. See you. The best religious films made by non-Christian, the best Christian films made by non-Christians, I'd never really thought much about it. A lot of that, I think, is money-making and marketing. Even today, that's true. The first God's Not Dead was made for about a buck and a half. God's Not Dead, right? A horribly lazy Christian film. And I think it grossed $60 million. So once again, we see religiosity is actually a pretty lucrative business model, right? If you're selling Jesus, there's a marketplace out here of people who will lap that stuff up and you can... Praise Jesus all the way to the bank. Can I get an amen?
Stand by as we go back to the switchboard and take more of your calls. Talking about the holidays, how do atheists mark the occasion if they mark the occasion? We'll continue next. I've had the honor of doing a few dozen of these Cameo greetings for special occasions. You go to Cameo.com, you search my name, Seth Andrews, and you just kind of tell me what you want me to say and for whom, and then I will record a short video greeting that's sent directly to them on your behalf. And it's been a great way to support my work here. It's been so much fun. A great option for connecting the community. If you got somebody you'd like to have me do a video greeting for, birthday, anniversary, a what-the-hell day, go to Cameo.com and search my name, Seth Andrews. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of this community. I hope the holidays are wonderful for you. Whether or not you actually celebrate them, I'm hoping for good things for you in your life. We're talking about holidays beyond belief. 423. Who's this? Hey, it's Paleo again. Talk to me. Christmas, Thanksgiving, <laughs> holidays. What do you think? Uh, for about three years, I was told I wasn't allowed over for Christmas. You are a paleontologist. Were you like throwing out the science? Why were you not invited back? Two major reasons. One, I had just recently learned about the history of most of the stuff that is celebrated at Christmas. So I was very eager to share this information. The other thing was, is I had asked very specifically for some skulls for Christmas. (laughs) And apparently this creeped out everybody else when I started opening up my presents. (laughs) Wait, 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 hang on, hold on. What kind of skulls? Were you specific? Uh, Yes, I was actually quite specific. There was a catalog that I handed over with the ones I wanted circled. Okay. So um, mostly large ice age predators. What do you go to iceagepredators.com and buy that shit? Where, where do you get those? <laughs> uh, boneclones.com. I'm sorry. Say it again. Boneclones, C-L-O-N-E-S.com. All right. Hang on. Hold on, Danielle. Hang on. Hold on. I got I got No, no, no. We're going there. Bone clones.com osteological reproductions there's a category for human anatomy zoology fossil hominids non-human primates oh look there's a grizzly bear skull you can buy this stuff yep they're all resin replicas i have a dire wolf skull sitting next to the bed Large dog hind paw articulated. So it's just a paw on a stand. There's a large Mm -hmm. dog skeleton. There's a horse foot. Chimpanzee infant skull. This is my kind of website. Actually, they've got a whole section of cheaper ones that they accidentally botched something up, but they still look good. 
What does one pay for the Kodiak Grizzly Bear Extra Large Skull? Let me click that link while I got you on the phone. Hang on. The grizzly, being the largest of all bears, reaches a length of 10 feet, may weigh up to 1,300 pounds. Oh, look. Catalog BC-021. Your price, $390. So this would be a higher-end commodity. Yep. All right. Bone clones. Paleo, thanks for calling. I hope your holiday is filled with yeah. bones and stuff. <laughs> okay. um, real quick for Lioness, get him a little um, like raincoat. We had to do that for my mom's dog. We tried the raincoat, but he hated it. And Natalie bought him rain boots, and he he would not walk in them. He hates, like he doesn't mind clothes, but the raincoat, I think it was too restrictive. It was loud when he walked. Uh, so I think, but we did find something. This is totally off of the, the beaten path here. We found what it's called tough one. And it's like a horse blanket, except they make it for dogs and it lays over the top of their back and you kind of, you know, put their head through the little slot and then you just secure it underneath. So it's not cumbersome and it's not really right. thick, but it's heavy and insulated like a horse blanket. And so you can take them out in the drizzle or even the cold if they'll go in the drizzle and the cold. And it actually <laughs> keeps them quite warm. We like it so much that we just ordered one for Gracie. So if anyone's interested in that, it's called right. Tough One. Paleo, Merry Christmas or happy whatever to you and yours. Be safe. Thanks for calling. Happy winter solstice. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Keep the Saturn in Saturnalia. That's the rallying cry of the skeptic. What is that website? People ought to give me a commission. Tough One. Dog Coat. And it's the number one, not the word one. Tough one, wearable dog blanket. Tough dash one. I love it. I love that thing. Tough one, you can send the commission check to The Thinking Atheist to help fund my work. And thank you. 719. Hi, who's this? Hi, Seth. This is Robin. Hi, Robin. On the subject of holidays, I have a story about my mom, a couple of years ago, um, we have Thanksgiving every year at my house and we came over, they came over and she's super religious. She's a messianic Jew. That's the religion she's chosen at the moment. Mm. <laughs> and uh, anyhow, so she, she came over for Thanksgiving and we sat down for the meal. And usually she prays to herself because she knows my position, my husband's position, and my brother's position on religion. We're all atheists. And anyhow, so I, I pick up my fork to start eating. And, you know, we usually have a toast. And I picked up my fork to start eating. And she starts loudly saying a prayer at the dinner table. And it was a really awkward moment for all of us. So last year when we had Thanksgiving, before she came over, I was like, could you please not do that again? I tried to ask as politely as I could, but I asked her if she could not do that again. And she ended up not coming over for Thanksgiving and not speaking to me for almost a year. Was it passive aggression, you think? I would definitely say passive aggressive. You've got a your house, your rules kind of thing going on, which is totally fine. I mean, if you're at her house and she yeah. wants to break out into right. a mantra, right? 
Absolutely. And that's what I told her too. I told her, you know, it's, it's our house and we, we would like you to respect this wish from us. We don't mind if you pray, you know, with, within yourself quietly before the meal. It's, it's just that we're not, this is our home and we would really like you to respect this. And it, it took her a really long time to accept it. I think that she hadn't accepted the fact that we actually were atheists. And so it took her almost a year to really digest it, I guess. Tells me that it's not really about her relationship with Jesus, because if she's thanking Jesus one-on-one, she's talking to the Father giving thanks, there's no need to be verbal about it, right? She could have bowed her head, and she could have whispered something, thank you, God, for the mashed potatoes and green beans. And instead, she felt the need to project that to sort of dominate the table with it. I think that's very telling. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it too terribly deeply, but that's a good point. Are you talking these um, days? I, I feel we are, yes. Um, as, and I put some, when we spoke for the first time, she actually called me on my birthday after a year of not talking to me and wished me a happy birthday. And I was like, okay, well, thanks for the happy birthday, but now let's get down into it. You know, <laughs> you haven't spoken to me for almost a year. And we talked and I, I, I told her how I felt and I, I explained to her that this is who I am and, and I understood that it bothered her, but I would appreciate it if she would stop trying to, because she would be very preachy and she would, she would, um, well, I'll pray for you every time I would talk to her, even before the, this incident, you know, she was just a little bit pushy about it and I would always push back, you know, I would be like, well, no, that's not necessary. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. now she avoids it. She avoids it a bit more and she respects my wishes and doesn't talk about religion when we're on the phone. And we, we still have wonderful conversations and we still have things to talk about, which I'm grateful for. I'm glad it doesn't consume her to the point where she cannot see past it. Do you still enjoy the holidays though? I mean, as a non-religious person? Oh yeah. Give me some examples. What Um, do you do to mark the occasion? Well, we, we do the whole decorate the tree. We, my husband and I collect a new ornament every year. We get a new ornament every year and we write the date down. We try to get it. We try to get an ornament that reflects the year we've had. So one year I got a new car. And so we went in search for a car ornament that we could write the date down, you know, that maybe looked like the car that I got, or we would go, we'll go search for something like this year. We've already found it, which is kind of odd. Like usually we don't find our ornament until like a week before Christmas and we put it on the tree But this year, we've been working on our wood shed, turning it into a wood shop. You know, we've been working on an old shed. And we found a little shed ornament, just random. We walked past it and we were like, well, there's our ornament for the year. (laughs) That's cool. But you've made the holiday what you want it to be. What's meaningful for you? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I I can understand why people don't want to celebrate the holiday or have have issues with the holiday. We still celebrate Thanksgiving. I mean, that, that hasn't, my mom didn't come last year and I'm hesitant to, after all of that, I'm hesitant to have her over this year, but yeah, we, we celebrate, we look at it as a celebration of the season of winter. And we know, I know that, or I feel like that it's really important for people to celebrate with each other and just to celebrate from time to time should just have an excuse to cook a big meal and be thankful. I feel that way about Thanksgiving. I and mean, if we look at the origins of Thanksgiving, 
It's kind of awful. Actually, it's extremely awful. But it's culturally, <laughs> culturally, I think, well, an opportunity to be with loved ones, to enjoy a meal and give thanks. I think we can do that. We can make the holiday while still also acknowledging many of the problematic things that have been attached to it in the past. It's a little bit like Christmas. I don't need Christ to enjoy Christmas. I don't need Christ to call it Christmas because that's the colloquial or actually kind of the cultural name for the day. I always say it this way. You know, I I don't believe in Mars, but I call it the month of March. I don't believe in Frigga or Frigg, the God. I call it Friday. We have a lot of God oriented names for specific days throughout the calendar year. It doesn't mean I hold to the superstition of it. By the way, while you were speaking, since Santa Claus is based on the legend of Odin, I was going to say that if mom comes over and she starts the prayer thing at the table this year, okay, here's a prayer to Odin you can counter with, all right? You can just stand up and you can gesticulate in some way and you can say, all father, make me fast and accurate. Let my blade strike true. Make my arm swifter than any who would seek to destroy me. Grant me victory o'er my foes, and when my death comes, let not my last thought be if I had only, but rather let the halls of Valhalla ring with my name, and let me die atop a mountain of enemy corpses. Okay, I want you. I'm, I can send this to you if you need. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. You're awesome. And my husband has a sword collection, so that would be even funnier. I mean, if he lifted a sword up. When his time comes, may he <laughs> die I- atop a mountain of enemy corpses. And happiest of holidays <laughs> to both of you. You guys take care of yourself. Thanks so much for the call. Thanks. You too, Seth. See you later. I mean, Odin, if you got to pick a god, you can do a lot worse than Odin. You know what I'm saying? You can do a lot worse than He's just a badass. However you spend your holidays, do it on your terms if you can. Do it on your terms. If you want to skip it, skip it. If you want to decorate the house in a specific way, hell, you want to use Halloween decoration, whatever. Make the holiday what you want it to be. No familial blackmail, no emotional blackmail, no drama, no toxicity. If you see that train coming, get out of the way go to a safe place, do the holidays on your terms. Say a thank you prayer to Odin or Saturn or Mithra, or just skip the prayers outright and crank up the turkey and mashed potatoes. A happy, happy holiday to you and yours. And I'll see you next time. Follow The Thinking Atheist on Facebook and Twitter. For a complete archive of podcasts and videos, products like mugs and t-shirts featuring the Thinking Atheist logo, links to atheist pages and resources, and details on upcoming free thought events and conventions, log on to our website, thethinkingatheist.com.